So right. let me try it now. I've got Ray yeah. here. No. No, Sorry. Ray Ray. No. <laughs> it's the Ray Ray bit that gets me. No, Ray Ray. You've been a very naughty, but you're only a bit far away from that. This week on Walking the Dog, I chatted to a man who's been called the best dog trainer in Britain. He's even known as the dog father. Yes, Ray, he will make you an offer you can't refuse. My guest is the presenter of TV's Dogs Behaving Very Badly, Graham Hall. There is literally no dog problem this man cannot solve. So I was dying to find out more about him, and yes, okay, shamelessly pick his brains about some of Ray's less than appealing habits. Graham told me all about his childhood in Yorkshire, where he grew up dogless, and why he suddenly decided to change his life at 40 to become a dog trainer. We chatted about how his job is actually much more about people than dogs, and he's got some fascinating insights into human behaviour. He also told me about his sadness after losing his Rottweilers Axel and Gordon, and how Lily the Labrador Boxer came into his life more recently. If you've ever seen Graham on Channel 5's Dogs Behaving Very Badly, you'll know that he's got a very calm, down-to-earth manner with dogs, but he's also like that with people. And after chatting with him, I genuinely felt like I'd had a little bit of therapy. He's just published a book called All Dogs Great and Small, which is a really funny and fascinating read. And I also recommend his podcast, Talking Dogs with Graham Hall. And if you haven't seen Dogs Behaving Very Badly on Channel 5, then do. It's genius. I totally adored Graham. He's just a lovely bloke. In fact, I'd even go so far as to call him a good boy. And you are too, Ray. The ego of this dog. I'll hand over to the man himself now. I really hope you enjoy our chat. Here's Graham. Good boy, Graham. Good boy. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Hey, <laughs> careful with the voice. Don't be too excited. I might, I might, I might get hyper. Uh, I'll be running around the room, and then <laughs> you'll never stop me. I'm very excited because with me on walking the dog this week is Graham Hall, the UK's best dog trainer. That was official, by the way. He was actually called that, and presenter of Dogs Behaving Very Badly. We've kicked off already because that's what you do. I've seen you go to people's houses and you just get stuck right in. You're a Yorkshireman, you roll your sleeves up. No no fancy standing on ceremony for Graham Hall. Whilst you're here, mm-hmm. I'm sure you get this a lot, my dog is sitting next to me, my dog Raymond, and he's giving me what can only be described as evils. He gives me these <laughs> dirty looks. Why does my dog give me dirty looks when I'm doing something? And there's nothing like a shih tzu for those sort of looks, is there? Yes! Disparaging, like, what do you think you're doing? (laughs) (laughs) What is it, Graham? Well, for a start, they don't understand how microphones work, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you're (laughs) sat there talking to yourself in front of a strange piece of apparatus, right? So Raymond, like any self-respecting dog, is looking at you going, have have you lost it, mother? (laughs) And the second part, of course, is, yeah, he's like, well, hello, you're meant to give me attention. What are you doing? I wish I could be with you in person, but obviously we're responsible citizens and we're doing this remotely. And you're speaking to me from uh, your home, which is... Yeah, I live in the uh, in the Cotswolds these days. So um, um, I'm, I'm famously a Yorkshireman, um, but I've lived... Actually, if I'm honest, I've probably lived outside of Yorkshire longer than I lived in. Um, but I, I have the excuse that I, I have to live down south because I'm on I'm on missionary duty. So some of us have to spread the word of Yorkshireness. So, Graham, 
I want to go back to the start of the dog father and where it all began, really, because you didn't have dogs when you were growing up, did you? No, that's right. I mean, mum and dad were both working. Uh, and my dad in particular was very keen that, no, we're not going to have dogs. Um, and one thing that he used to say all all the time was, it's just, it's too difficult when they go. It's too hard when they go. And and I always assumed that he meant, you know, the end of life when they die. But, but actually, when I was writing the book, because um, the, the book's sort of part memoir, but um, I, I made a connection which I'd never made before, which was there's a story that he told me when he had a dog as a kid and he lived in a pub in uh, in Selby in Yorkshire. It was called the Volunteers Arms. It's not there anymore. It hasn't been for decades. But this was World War Two. And for whatever reason, the dog got rehomed, and the, the reason's been lost in the midst of time, but it was taken away to, to a place called Garforth, which is a good 15 miles away on the edge of Leeds. And um, and the dog found his way back again right now. I always, as a kid, thought, yeah, right, that's a bit of a long story. But I'd, I've, I've learned since that actually it's entirely possible that there's lots of cases where dogs have travelled much further than that. So for whatever reason, this dog came back, ended up on the doorstep of the pub. My dad was there. Um, his dog had come home. And then, of course, you know, his dad, my granddad, said, no, the dog has to go and took him away again. And that was that. And, and so when I was growing up, I, I grew up with this. We're not having dogs because it's too hard when they go. So that was that. Um, dogs weren't for us really and that was it um, but I always kind of liked dogs and um, every time I met one somebody else's I you know there's a bit of an affinity there let's just say I wanted to know a bit more about your childhood actually what how would you describe it if you could describe it in one word I would describe my childhood Graham as bohemian chaos <laughs> I read a bit about that is it true that you used to, for breakfast sometimes, you'd have canapes from the party the night before? Is that right? Yeah. Well, my upbringing was a bit different. It was, it was, it was, I suppose, a bit more, yeah, Yorkshire market town. I went to school in the big city, Leeds. But you and I um, have a uh, one point of commonality, which is I, too, used to have unusual breakfast sometimes, which in my case was jacket potatoes. And that's because my dad was an electrician at the sugar factory. My dad would be on night shift. So every now and again, um, they'd pull out a big potato that come in with the sugar beet. My dad had put the word out that if you get a couple of potatoes, bring them to me in the electrician's workshop, because um, he was going to heat them up in the oven all night. Me and my sister um, would have baked potatoes. So he'd cycle back about three miles from the factory first thing in the morning on a push bike with with uh, with baked potatoes in a in a tin foil packet in his little saddlebag, and that's what we had. I had no idea that it wasn't normal to have baked potatoes for breakfast but there you go so it was you your dad and your sister andrea and your mum was a teacher is that right a swimming no, teacher. Uh, swimming teacher yeah that's where you got that from yeah so um so mum was a swimming teacher that's right um and her mum before her so um so they, they both worked at the the, the local swimming bath is not there anymore um and so yeah so we both we, we both knew, knew how to swim that's for sure what was your family experience like was it a noisy household was it um a mm. disciplined household it's it's an interesting um thing isn't it it's hard to judge 
I think it was a fairly noisy household, but there was only two of us kids. I mean, uh, myself and Andy, Andrea, we we were like cat and dog as kids. I mean, we're 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 really quite close now and text each other most days and all sorts of things. But but back then, I mean, I don't know if you remember, there was a pop song by uh, uh, Brian and Michael, and they sang that song about matchstick men and matchstick cats and dogs. Right, you've got to be of a certain age to remember this. Yeah, um, sadly um, I am, because it was based on Lowry paintings. I believe, exactly that. That's the thing, right? So, so that was the thing. It was a one-hit wonder, um, and I was a couple of years older than Andrea, but she loved it. She thought it was great. So she, she, uh, as teenage girls do, she'd drawn up like Brian and Michael, and it was all in her bedroom, and then she, she put and the hit number one, I think. So, so she put Brian and Michael are number one forever. Right, so I kept taunting her going, they won't be number one forever, they won't be number one ever again, you'll never hear from them ever again, as teenage boys do. As it turns out, more luck than judgment, turns out I was right. So every now and again, and we're probably 40 years on now, I have to remind her that Brian and Michael aren't number one forever, <laughs> so that's the kind of house we had. <laughs> my mum trying to keep control of two warring children and my dad, it was quite a quiet guy really just wanted was an easy life yeah he was trying to stay out of it i think <laughs> what was your role in the family if you had to give yourself a moniker like a spice girls moniker yeah <laughs> i've never been asked that question <laughs> um which spice girl are you well um i think i think i was a bit too the phrase that my mum would use all the time was too clever for his own good <laughs> this one um, so I used to get myself into trouble. It, it was probably me starting it most of the time with with my sister. You know, she'd be listening into this thing, going, "Ah, finally." Um, so that's probably right. And then I suppose a, I suppose a mellowed really. Um, but yeah, it's funny at school, you know. And this is something I've never really told anybody. I, it it was quite different because I went from this this little market town, Selby, off to this big city Leeds that I was scared stiff of. In truth, you know, I was out of my depth, and it's because um, I was brought up a Catholic. And so if you passed the 11 plus at the time, the the Catholic grammar school was in Leeds. And so that's where you went on a train. Um, and so in this school, there was about six, seven hundred kids, but only three, four of us were from Selby. So we were real outsiders, you know, so we were always, you know, picked on, you know, and I, I, I got bullied quite a bit. I, I remember there was times when I was scared to go to school, cry my eyes out, you know, my mum had to force me to get on the train, you know. So so in the house, I suppose I was quite confident, you know, and, and I was I was playing that role, but it was quite different at school, really. That can be a harder thing for boys to admit, can't it, I think, sometimes? Yeah, I think that might be right. Um, I think there was uh, an element of... And it was... My mum was the one who, who really sort of got the brunt of all this, because I guess my dad was at work, but... Uh, you know, it's just like, you know, come on, pull yourself together sort of thing. You know, not in a nasty way, but it's like, come on, you've got to go to school, you know, just just, just get on with it, you know. And, and I just suppose my mum knew what to do, you know, school was a long way away, she wasn't on the doorstep. So, yeah, um, it was one of those, really, where it's just like, and in Yorkshire as well, you know, up north, it's very much that, you know, come on, you know. It's like, boys don't cry when they're 14, don't be ridiculous, get on with it, you know. So, mm. I'm interested in your love of dogs, and when it started? We didn't really talk about dogs an awful lot in the family, I suppose. It's just one of those subjects. It's like that's what other people do, you know. Um, where it came from, was for me, was, you know, so after I'd left home growing up, um, found myself with a girlfriend who, who got a dog, you know. Um, so 
But there were dogs in your neighbourhood, because I've read your book. Um, yeah, there was. There was a little poodle called Pepe, and he was an apricot-coloured uh, uh, dog, and he lived across the way. Um, so we lived in a um, an estate that had been built in the 60s on the edge of town sort of thing. And just the other side of the cul-de-sac uh, in this other bungalow was a very glamorous girl called Gillian. I wonder where she is now. <laughs> and she was a bit older than me. <laughs> He was dead cute and he was a really nice uh, dog. And the, the one abiding memories, I know where he's buried. Um, uh, I could go back now and point to the particular patch in their garden because I remember one day th th they were digging this hole and out came this plastic bag and the plastic bag went in the hole. What, what are you doing? Oh, that's Pepe. He's died and we're burying him because that's what you did in those days. There was no patrimonial service, you know. So yeah, I could take you back to that that street in Selby and go <laughs> to the current owners. Your um, front garden. Oh, no, <laughs> yeah, that's where Pepe is, bless him. Yeah, so it was from one poodle to another, because because then sort of by the time I'd you know I'd met this this uh, this girlfriend and and a uh, and a poodle called Noodle who'd been named by the six year old daughter. I, I mean. I've got to say, as the as name goes for a six-year-old, I think that's a cracking name to come up with. I'd have been proud of that one myself. When did you first realise that you had, I suppose, an affinity within four dogs, that you were able to sort of communicate with dogs in a way that perhaps, you know, other people don't sort of lack the confidence to communicate with dogs in the way that, that you do? So when did you realise that you got dogs? Well, it's a funny old thing because it's a creeping one, that. And it, there was no... You know, it'd be great if I could tell you there was some dramatic moment when, you know, that was the moment when I realised. And it wasn't quite like that with, certainly with, with Noodle, it's just that, you know, we could look together, oh, this is what dogs like, is it? Yeah, fair enough. And then now and again, he might do something naughty, I'm like, eh, Noodle, you know, and he'd be like, oh, okay. But, and we got on really well, I thought, oh, this is, oh, this is, this is quite good, you know. And people would say, you've got quite a way with that dog, haven't you? I'm like, yeah, I suppose I have, really. But you weren't doing anything, you weren't working with animals, were you? Because you'd gone into sort of management for Weetabix. Uh -huh. That's right. So so I'd left uni um, and I'd, I'd studied Spanish, well, Hispanic studies, actually. Um, and then gone into, as you say, so Weetabix Limited. Um, so I was a graduate trainee initially and basically on the production side, so managing the factories. Um, and that was it, literally 21 years there, working my way up. So by the time I left, um, I was in, I suppose, in quite a senior place, really, a team of a couple of hundred people. So what I didn't realise then was that I was learning, mainly by making mistakes, how to be a leader of people, you know. And it's not, obviously, it's not about, being, well, it shouldn't be about being bossy and shouting and screaming and forcing people to do things. It's about getting people to to willingly come with you, you know, Um and and there are lots of similarities with that and dogs of course um and sometimes it's the it's the tone you know so if you stand in front of a, a group of people in a canteen at two in the morning because you're doing the rounds of all the different shifts because there's a big change coming and you've got something to announce and you look unsure of yourself and you're umming and ahhing and all the rest of it people start to think he's 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 talking rubbish here this is nonsense we're not going to go for this you know you're in big trouble um so, yeah, I mean, I suppose I learned an awful lot. But there was a bit of a us and them thing going on with, you know, management and, and shop floor, which I always found difficult to, to sort of cope with, you know. And you're kind of just automatically one of them when you were one of the bosses. And you imagine, can't you, walking in as the graduate trainee, it's like, who's he think he is? Um, 
but I've actually discovered since I left um, that people who work with me back then have got in touch since um, say lovely things about, you know, I was a nice person to work with, it, it turns out. Do you know what I think is important when it comes to leadership? It's this, we all have this, there's loads of adages in there about things like, oh, you know, we like that person because she's, let's say, um, you know, firm but fair. There's a phrase that you hear all the time. Well, that works with dogs. So what I often say to people, and it, if I'm trying to paint a picture of the way you need to be with the dog, it's like, think about the best boss you've ever worked with, right? Um, and if you've got an image of that person, you're probably thinking about somebody who didn't scream and shout to get things done because they never needed to go that far. Um, they were really clear in the way that they communicated. So you knew where you stood, right? So you would say about people like that, for example, um, cool, I wouldn't want to get the wrong side of her. Um, but actually, nobody's ever seen what the wrong side looks like because nobody ever needs to go there. And one of the things that I'm always saying with dogs is that, you know, when you do get something right, um, not necessarily all the time, but they'll drip in the odd bit of like, oh, well done. And the ones that are really good at it aren't just praising, 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 praising all the time because then we it loses its effect, doesn't it? Take me back to uh, when Making you first move. decided to get a dog, because yeah. it feels like you you left Weetabix and uh, kind of in the same you know era, you also had two dogs of your own suddenly. About the time um, that I left Weetabix, I'd got these two dogs. So one came after the other. So um, there was uh, Axel, um, so Rottweiler, got him from a breeder, um, all of that stuff. Uh, and then a few months later, um, Along came Gordon, and it was about nine months later. There was nine months between them. Gordon the Rottweiler. I quite like that juxtaposition between his this supposedly great big rough and tough dog, and his name is like Gordon. You know, you'd never had a dog in your life, and and I'm thinking you're around forty at this time when you got these two Rottweilers. To me, that's like that is like passing your driving test at forty and just saying I'll have two Formula One cars, please. <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, I did previous to that, many moons previous, I passed a motorbike test and went out and bought a Kawasaki GPZ 900R. So, yeah. Well, now we're, <laughs> so getting, to the, now we're getting to the heart of Graham here. <laughs> you just, yeah. Um, so we, we moved on from living with a girl with a, with a poodle. And, and then I... Uh, and, then, and then I married someone who got a Rottweiler, actually. So, um, so when we first met, um, she's like, "Yeah, come, come back to mine. Um, are you okay with dogs?" I went, "Yeah, dogs, dogs, fine, like dogs." Um, but she didn't tell me that this, this was a Rottweiler. So, I walked in the hooch was the daftest dog in the world. So I walked in. I'm six foot two, <laughs> and he went, "Hello," and he and his paws were on my shoulders. I'm like, "Oh my god!" So, uh, "Hello, you're nice." I think he, he was. He was just the he was a great big lump of a dog but he was lovely um and lived with him for quite a while he, he died uh, he was 13 years old when he died and that's really old for a rotty and um if you ever look back at, at pictures of him at that time he really looked like the dog version of a very very frail old man you know um but he he had a bit about him i mean i was i was fixing a, a fence at the back garden where i lived uh once and um uh, and the ground was very uneven. I stepped backwards, didn't realise I'd stepped on his paw um, because of the where the ground was and put my full weight on it. He didn't bark or anything. All I felt was this whacking great clamping force on me, uh, 
on me calf, which was his way of going, get off, you fool. Um, so um, my, my my wife at the time was an A&E nurse. I had been an A&E nurse. So long story short, she said, there's two ways to do this. One involves a four-hour queue at A&E, and the other involves me getting some kit from upstairs. That's the good news. The bad news is there's no local anaesthetic to be had. <laughs> what do you want to do? So, so, so she stitched me up there and then. I'm starting to feel that's what I'd call quite a Graham thing to happen because you talk about your childhood in this this slight Yorkshire attitude of keep calm and carry on. It'll all work out all right. You just have to keep going. It'll be right. Yeah, it's a, it's a. You, I think you're right. Actually, that's probably quite a Yorkshire thing, and it? it's like ah, it'll be right. You know, it'll, ah, yeah. you know. And, and actually, that sounds like my dad now, just saying. I can hear my dad in that in the voice there. You know, yeah, come on, it'll be right. And it, and I mean that example there was it was just pragmatic, really. And it wasn't in a big tough like oh, look at me. You know, it was. Although I have died out on it since, but it really was just like, do I really want to go down Northampton General for? four hours or whatever, or she, oh, come on, just, yeah, it's going to hurt, but just, yeah, it's going to hurt for three minutes in it, so let's get on with it, you know. Um, and then I, I went out the back garden, and, and it was a bit stiff, but I finished the fence, and the neighbours <laughs> thought I was mad. So <laughs> Axel and Gordon, mm. um, that, you really loved those dogs, didn't you? They became a huge part of your, your life, and they they kind of, in one way or another, led to you becoming the best dog trainer in the country. So so Hooch was the previous Rotty who, 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 who bit me. Um, I knew nothing about dogs then, you know. Um, and what happened was, so he died and three weeks later we were broken into. And, and at the time, um, my wife said, look, you know, once he's gone, he, he's, he's gone. I've, I've, he was lovely, but I've lived with dogs for a long time. So, and of course, that was my first experience of losing a dog dying, you know. Um, but once he's gone, he's gone. And I'm going to, famously, it was, I'm going to get a white sofa. Because <laughs> you can't have a white sofa when there's a rotty in the house. So that was that. Three weeks later, we were broken into. And... Um, and we lost a couple of bits that were very sentimental, and I said, "No, that's it. I'm, 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 come on, let's get another dog." Because if if there'd have been a dog in the house, he didn't need to do anything nasty, and I certainly didn't want to get a dog to train as an attack dog, you know. But just a dog barking, and if you ever hear a Rottweiler bark in a house, it's a it, you wouldn't go there, you know. Um, and that was sort of it. So I started looking around. I, I think it was just an excuse because really, really, I wanted another dog, you know. Um, so yeah, so we got Axel and. And it was love at first sight. Um, I, I, I realised the publication date was coming up. And in my case, that was the 18th of Feb. And I thought that, I couldn't put my finger on it, but that date just really rang about 18th of Feb, um, 15 years previously, exactly to the day was when we brought Axel back. So, from the breeder. So, getting Axel. Um, if you'd have said to me then... Um, you know, what do you think the chances are that in 15 years' time, you'll have written a book, you'll have been on the telly, people will be saying, you, you know, you're one of the, you know, the, the, the most well-known dog trainers in the country and all that kind of thing. I said, there's no chance. So I got Axel and, uh, and already it's like, okay, so at the time... The devil dog in the in the press was was a Rottweiler, and they would roll out. There was a standard stock pick of a Rottweiler bearing teeth that, that 
that often would get dragged out when there'd been some sort of dog attack sadly somewhere in the country and often that would be a different breed of dog but it was just the the you know it was the the one dog that they wanted to vilify him so i thought right he's got to be he's got to be bang on so i'm going to really throw myself into dog training and one of my things um and it, it came from a grandfather that i never knew he died just before i was born uh, i grew up with the shadow of this man you know it's like oh he's just like his grandfather and all that. um and one thing that apparently he used to say all the time as my mum's dad was if a job's worth doing it's worth doing well you know and of course everybody says that all around the country but said in the yorkshire way it just has this quite right to it you know so I thought, right, I'll throw myself into dog training if a job's worth doing. So so I really did. I mean, I, I got the books. I learned everything, as everybody does. Um, went to um, to a dog training club uh, across in Birmingham, actually. Uh, so I used to travel there um, every weekend and then started sort of volunteering there, uh, helping out the, the head trainer. And, and that's, it sort of went from there. Um, so by the time I got Gordon... I was sort of already beginning to do that because I'd seen these these guys coming in um, and they're, they're almost always men actually or they were then um, and I learned how much they were making a, a day and I'm like well you know the stuff that you're talking about is kind of common sense to me so if you can do it so can I. Ricky Gervais who came on this podcast he always says there's no such thing as bad dogs just bad people. Mm. What do you think mm. about that? Well no I mean Yes and no, right? So I think it was probably Barbara Woodhouse who first first um, coined that. And that, that's because back in those days, and we're talking 70s, 80s again now, um, uh, and, and for those who don't know, Barbara Woodhouse was like the first TV dog trainer. She, she used to wear a kilt and say, walkies! <laughs> she did, yeah. Well, yeah, actually, a lot of what she wore was tweed. I mean, who would ever have imagined a dog trainer wearing tweed on the telly? It's ridiculous. So, um, add a cravat, pff, what have you got? <laughs> so, um, the thing at the time, really, was if a dog's misbehaving, it's obviously the dog's fault. The dog needs to be punished. It's a bad dog. And so, she was the first one that coined this phrase. And it really stuck. No such thing as a bad dog, only bad owners. Now, I think the truth is somewhere between those two extremes because I often go to houses and I'm looking at people going, you're not bad people, you're actually very reasonable people, but boy, have you got yourselves a problem here and you don't know what to do. So, And often people are saying, well, we know we've got this spectacularly wrong, we just don't know what to do, please help, just show us how. So you wouldn't really say they're bad owners, are they? But equally, that's probably not a bad dog he's just been you know he's a product of his upbringing isn't he so so yeah i think it's interesting and and also just like humans i mean we've been talking about my background which is really interesting because when you talk through in some depth with somebody like this you begin to realize a, a bit about yourself don't you where you come from we're all a product of our genes and the things that we've learned in life so it's the age-old thing about nature and nurture and that's exactly the same with the dog so some of it's genetic and a lot of it is what you learn. You present dogs behaving very badly on Channel 5, which I'm such a huge fan of this show. My dog Raymond, sometimes he, he can be, he'll just literally get up and walk away if the TV's on. He'll only watch David Attenborough and Graham Hall. He likes your voice, Graham. I think he Does finds he? your There's voice soothing. Thing. 
Mm. Yeah. Well, that's a nice thing. Well, I'd say that was a compliment. Um, um, it, it's funny, though. You're right. Dogs, um, they either get the telly or they don't. And Axel and Gordon were interesting because Axel, I'd, I, in, in, in his whole life, I don't think I ever saw him sit and watch the telly. He, he'd be in the room with you more often than not facing away from the telly. He, it was a, he just didn't get that it was there. Gordon, though, would watch the telly. He didn't react badly to it. He just, he would just. <laughs> of course, sit he did. Watch. He's called Gordon. He's basically yeah, a Gordon. man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Actually, thought he was above it, didn't he? But <laughs> when I first came on the telly, the very first show we ever did, right? So you can imagine, he's like, "Oh, we're going to be on the telly tonight." Um, so we're all sat there watching, you know. And Gordon was there with me, right? And you could see he's like, "Hang on a minute," right? And then he looked at me, <laughs> and he looked back at the telly, and he walked out the room. <laughs> He's just like, this is too weird. <laughs> it's a fascinating show because often what you're doing, you're part therapist with the owners, aren't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, the, the, the guy who was the head trainer at that club that I used to go to in Birmingham when I learned lots of this stuff, um, I remember him saying, you're quite good with people as well as dogs and I think you should, you know, you should make this your uh, profession. But the, the reason he said that, he said was that you can only fix the dogs through the people and of course he was right because it's no good just going out showing off doing magic stuff with the dog the dog goes oh yeah, yeah i'll do anything for you yeah great yeah, like, see nothing wrong with the old dog see you then that's not going to help anyone so you've got to do that bit so the the show really kind of shows that you know so i, I, I go in sit down listen to what they've got to tell me okay well i better see this problem then you know um and and then it's a case of right okay understand what's going on so the first question in my mind is okay what's going on this dog said why is he doing this um uh, and how can i turn that around and then i'll give it a go myself and then if that's working it's a case of right okay you have a go and often that bit's the hardest and the one thing is is that we we don't pay attention to our tone of voice, right? So we, we're obsessed with the words we use because that's the kind of animals we are. But we don't often listen to the sound, right? So you can say no in all sorts of different ways. Um, so I had a, a, a client the other day who sent me a, a video. So this was a, a private client I'd seen a couple of years ago. Moved house, new problem, long story short. Sent me a little video of, of something the dog's doing. Uh, and said, yeah, any chance you have a look at this and just let me know where I might be going wrong. Um, and it was it was her voice. So to start with, it was like, no, and then it didn't appear to be working. So straight away, if you listen to this, <laughs> and it's the sound that counts here, it's like, no. It's like, I don't believe you. <laughs> don't <laughs> believe you. It's like, this is never going to work. <laughs> so it's it's... You know, it's not all about telling dogs off, but it's the same with praise, right? So if you think about praise, then there's an excited version or a calm version, right? By which I mean, um, so your voice could be, you know, oh, good boy, Raymond. So let me try it now. I've got Ray yeah. here. No, no, Sorry. Ray, Ray, no. <laughs> it's the Ray Raven that gets me. No, Ray, Ray. You've been a very naughty, but you're only a bit far away from learning. So that's where it started to go a bit wrong. It wasn't horrible. I've seen, a, I've heard a lot worse. <laughs> so I need so, to ditch the Ray Ray. Well, here's the thing. You know the thing where if you've got a long version of your name, right? So do people call you M as well as Emily? I love M. 
there you go. So I don't know if it was the case with you, but quite often it will be if if you call M all the time, right? It's when somebody goes Emily. Like, <gasps> oh, oh. I'm in trouble now, right? So you can use that trick with the dog. They don't recognise the fact this is the long version of the show. It's the sound, right? Because when you, if you were to go, if you use Ray Ray for the noise stuff and you went, Raymond, it's the sound. Listen to that. Dum, dum, right? Raymond, no. It's like the beat of a kettle drum. It's like, dum, end of. What I like, Graham, is that I am learning about myself because I think if I have to tell someone something difficult in an email... I'll always put um, sort of qualifiers around it. And I think me saying, no, Ray Ray, is the same as me saying, just thought I'd drop you a quick note yes. to say, can you stop playing thrash metal at four in the morning? <laughs> if you wouldn't mind awfully. <laughs> if you could bear it in mind. Yes. I'd be so grateful. Do you think that's the same thing in a way as me it saying, is a bit. no, Ray Ray? We Yes, we do that quite a lot. I'll tell you another one, a classic that we do, moving away from sort of tone of voice, but actually contradicting myself now, because these, these are a couple of words I'm going to say that, that we often use when we shouldn't, right? So spot what's wrong with this. If you say to a dog, come on, be a good boy, you're saying that while he's being naughty, aren't you? Right? But you're saying, da, 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 good boy. So he's hearing a load of blah, blah, blah words he doesn't really get. But good boy, he's like, oh, I know those two words. So he's like... <laughs> So, so I'm crapping on the carpet and you're going, being a good boy, good boy, you like it when I crap on the carpet. Oh, well, your wish is my command. <laughs> and that's dogs for you. The other thing about dogs is they're so literal, right? It's just like, no, yes, thank you very much. You didn't need to explain it in a thousand words with a dissertation, thanks. It's just like, don't do that, do do this, thank you. That, to me, that's the joy of dogs, really. Yeah. And you've said as well... Uh both in your book and you say this on the show, excitement often is the root of the problem, isn't yeah. it? Overexcitement. It's quite an unusual one, this, for, for a, a, a British dog trainer in particular, I think, to be saying, because the traditional way of doing things around here has been the whoopee-doo stuff, you know? It's like, yeah, woo, you know? And if you go to any puppy class in the, in the land, it's all of that. Um, and don't get me wrong, there is a place for that. So the, the people saying that, they're, they're not wrong. It's just... The, too much excitement at the wrong time is what gets you into trouble, right? It's very rare that anybody's ever called. I think it's happened once in 5,000 Dogs where somebody called and said, can you send Graham out in a hurry because my dog's too calm? Right? <laughs> That's super rare. Mainly, it's he's barking too much, he's got separation anxiety, which is a kind of excitement, isn't it? He's, he's running around, won't come back, he pulls on the lead. It's all different flavours of too much excitement. So... If you use praise in too excited a way in those moments, so let's say you've got a dog who's barking for whatever reason, doesn't matter for the time being, he's just barking, right? And then he stops, and we think, ah, great. He stopped, he's quiet, therefore I must now praise him for being quiet. Yes, that's correct. But if you do it in an excited way, oh, good boy! He's like, pop, and he's back up again, because you've just revved him back up. So excitement's usually the core of the problem, and if you praise them for them being good and you do that in an excited way, you've you've messed it up. So I'm kind of, I'm almost obsessed with can I hear excitement in that voice or calmness and does that match what we're trying to do here, you know? The opposite's also true, right? So if you're trying to do, um, I'll give you a great example of this, recall, getting a dog to run back to you. So that's about excitement. 
you want excitement for that one so so you your call needs to be nice and bright and um and happy so a, a bit sort of like you know fido come you know that kind of thing um because if you stand there and go as many men do right um fido come here right fido's like what about that you sound a bit upset you know um that's where you need excitement so when we did a celebrity special for dogs behaving very badly and denise van Ant was on it um of course she's she's an actor so she knows how to project a voice and all the rest <laughs> of it so her partner um she was uh, she was explaining to eddie how to how to do this right and then she didn't actually <laughs> do what she told him she she sort of lightened everything up and i'm like uh hello <laughs> listen to yourself and i think we do that you know we go all daft when when there's a dog around you know you did just... you had michael owen on that series and he had a staffy mm. i think didn't he mm -hmm. he did so the problem that michael had had and we had some cctv footage of it is that somebody had been walking past the entrance of his house and his dog had run out and actually actually bitten the other dog which was very out of character because he was such a sweet dog he was lovely however yeah that's obviously a, a big deal now the man was lovely about it apparently and it was all sorted out very amicably but michael was a really responsible dog owner and a bit like when i first got rotties he's like look He's a staffy, you know, people rightly or wrongly have a perception about them and well, wrongly, frankly, um, you know, so if he scares somebody or whatever, it's going to be a big deal. And, you know, Michael Owen's famous, so the dog's got to be just right. And, and what was happening there was that every time um, there was somebody walking along the footpath, which was sort of bordered his property, um, Michael was starting to tense up. You could see it you know so he was beginning to go oh no here we go and it was in his voice and everything and of course the dog's like okay so there's some people down there you've gone from your normal calm self to on edge there's a problem isn't there you didn't say calm down calm down calm down <laughs> <laughs> i should have done shouldn't i calm down you lad you should have yeah. just turned up and said look michael calm down calm down yeah okay yeah, calm down, lad. just put the money in my account um that's not <laughs> Has there ever been a case where you've thought, I think this person possibly is not the right temperament to be a dog owner? Yeah, that happens. Um, you know, I've been into houses where, um, you know, it's, it's um, you know, there's a man and a wife and a dog and the dog just does not get on with the man. And I'm looking at the man thinking, I don't particularly like him myself. I can't exactly blame <laughs> the dog, you know. There, there is, I think, still in our country this this blokey thing of dogs must obey you know i am the master you will just you know and i'm not going to put any effort in because usually the girls who end up taking the dogs to the training classes you know and then the guy benefits from that but on the odd occasion the dog doesn't obey then it's it's an affront to his masculinity you know you've got to earn the right to be the leader haven't you you know you you and again i go back to that sort of human leadership thing you know shouting and screaming and bullying isn't the way to go um, it, uh, frankly, I suppose it will get you so far. It's not the right way to do it, but that's not where you want to be. Um, and things like rules, like the dog must never be on the sofa, dog mustn't be on the bed. Um, another one that's very common is you must always go through a door first to show a moves boss. So where those things come from is, yeah, if you get a dog, um, and again, there was one on the show very recently where a, a youngish, um, uh, Wiesler actually was, 
called Ruger. He was on the back of, of a sofa looking down on mum and dad, you know. And it was just leading to this, like, this dog can do anything he wants, wherever he wants. He can sit where he wants. You know, there, there are no boundaries. Um, so in that case, it, it was, yeah, let's get him off the sofa. That's going to send a signal. But it may well be. If you said to me, well, me and Ray, we sit on the settee and we watch the telly and it's just lovely and really nice. I'd, I'd be the last person to say that dog must be off the sofa because you haven't got a problem. I want to talk about um, something a bit sad because it isn't, I think this will be really helpful to people listening, Graham, because you write in your book really movingly, actually, about when you lost your dog, um, Axel, and then Gordon, not that long after. That's right. Um, a couple of things I'd learned from other people was there are perhaps good ways of letting go um, and one thing that I'd, I'd learned over the years is if it's possible to get the vet to come to you, if you know it's going to happen and perhaps today's the day, then that's nicer for the dog because they're in their own environment. They're, you know, in the case of Axel and Gordon, I can still see it now, you know, uh, in the kitchen, lying on the floor where they've just spent so much time, you know, and they fall asleep, you know, and it's sad for everyone but it's easier for them. So that, that was a lesson. And I really wanted to get that across. And the other thing was, if you've got two dogs, um, and I'd seen so many cases over the years of people saying, we lost a dog, and then the remaining one spent so much time scrambling at the door, looking out the window, just couldn't understand that the other one went to the vets one day and never came back, you know. Um, and, and there's no signs behind this particular one that I'm aware of, but um, it, it just seems that they get it if they see the body afterwards, you know, briefly. So if it happens at home, again, it's easier to do that. So with Axel, um, the hardest thing about Axel was making the call to the vet. <laughs> um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, even now, I think you can tell it affects me. And I remember picking up the phone and saying, can you please send uh, Hugh, uh, Hugo, um, and I couldn't say the rest of the words. And the, the lady knew what it was and said, I, I think you want me to send him for Axel. Yeah, yes, please. Um, but we put Gordon out of the room. And um, and and Axel went and he was lying there. Uh, the vet, I'd known for a long time, he was a nice guy. Brought Gordon in. Gordon was, well, kind of hilarious. So he came in, had one sniff at Axel, kind of went, oh, oh, you're dead then. Oh, well. Ah, vet. Hello. Let's play. <laughs> Blimey, Gordon. So, and then he did go through a bit of a grieving process, which is typical of dogs. They, they, you know, they often are a bit subdued, like the rest of us, you know. And 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 I think there's no, there is no speeding up of that process. You've just got to go through it. And it, it it takes us all, you know, different amounts of time. And 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 you know, and it, you know, the old sort of classic thing about grieving, you know, the anger and 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 disbelief and all that stuff it happens at different times and i don't think there's any set thing that's what i've learned but but that was that with axel and gordon then a surprising thing i suppose happened with gordon over the next few months and he was already an old dog um he was out from under the shadow of axel axel was very much the boss of the two of them you know so once axel was gone gordon was like right so i can run around the back garden and make a complete fool of myself and nobody's going to give me the evil eye you know and I didn't realize quite how much effect Axel had had on him I think um, so he bounced around like Bambi and there'd been an element of that right through his life he was always a cheeky chap was Gordon 
Um, and uh, and then one day, just a few months after Axel had gone, really, um, I sort of noticed that he wasn't bouncing around like Bambi anymore. He just he just wasn't, you know. Um, so I thought that's a bit odd. Um, not, nothing you could put your finger on. So I took him into the vets and uh, uh, and said, check him out. Um, it turned out he had um, tumours in lots of different sites, um, including, we thought, in his brain. So um, it was a case of, right, we need to think about, OK, so do we prolong his life, you know, um, get him on the right kind of chemo and all the rest of it? Um, and that was likely to prolong it by about a month, you know, Hugo thought. So... But, you know, you ask the questions like, actually, who am I doing this for? You know, am I doing it for Gordon or am I doing it for me? Because I just don't want to, you know, say goodbye. And um, he comes to the conclusion in the end that I can't give him a month of bouncing Bambi anymore, can I? I can't give him a month of being two years old running through the fields. Um, uh, I'm just going to keep him going because, you know, to avoid the obvious. So... So in the end, palliative care was um, a surprisingly easy decision to make. Let's just keep him pain-free um, and then, you know, it'll happen, won't it? Um, so, but it was incredibly quick. Um, that trip to the vets, I think, was on a Thursday. Um, and over the weekend, he deteriorated. And he suddenly, he couldn't walk very well. He was bumping into things. Um, and it was on the Tuesday that we said goodbye. So, yeah. And about the same time, my dad died. So, yeah, hard time yeah, that was. I am. I'm. I'm so sad for you because that's. By the way, I'm. I'm crying. We're all crying. Ray's crying. It was really interesting with Gordon. He, he understood what had happened to Axel like in a second. I mean, I was amazed how he, he literally looked, sniffed, and went, "Yeah, right." <laughs> and that was that, you know. And he never once did the looking out the window or any anything like that. He was just flat for quite a while, you know. Um, so of course, then it was a case of right. Should we should we get another dog? You know, but it was a while. It was a few months actually. Um, so I was a dog father without a dog for a little while because I just it was just too soon. You know, mm, I totally understand that. And you've had um, Lily in your life recently, haven't you as well? Who's a lovely uh, is it Labrador. Yeah, Labrador cross boxer. So um, I always describe her as half Labrador and half bonkers. Um, she's. <laughs> <laughs> People She's, have said that about me, to be honest. Well, <laughs> so there's worse things to be called. Um, but yeah, I mean, she was lovely. So she was a rescue dog. So so I'd had I'd done the puppy thing, um, and uh, and then I thought, right now let's let's get a rescue dog. So uh, um, for a couple of reasons, one I'll be really honest was just a practical reason. It's it's just like I'm not around enough to have a little puppy and go through all the puppy things. And and I think people sometimes underestimate how much effort that is. You know, um, Labradors are an, a pretty good bet actually. Um, I don't really want a, 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 a case of my own when I come home at night. Right? People imagine I would take on a really badly behaved dog and turn around. And it's not that I can't. It's just that when you've done it all day long, you just want to come home and cuddle your dog, don't you? When you've been out with Lily, have you felt that it's a bit like Super Nanny being out with her own kids, I think, in that she must feel very self-conscious if her child has a tantrum and says, no! to go to mcdonald's you think oh no my brand's in trouble now please behave. 
<laughs> to some extent, it was ever thus. And if you think about where I came from with the Rotties, it's like these dogs have got to be perfect because they're Rottweilers. Then it became... I'm the bloke with the two Rottweilers who's now a dog trainer. Who do you think he is? Yeah, those dogs have got to be brilliant. So, and then, yeah, suddenly, you know, I got this 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 dog who pulled like you wouldn't believe. I mean, um, <laughs> she was a lovely dog, great temperament, bonkers, absolutely <laughs> mad. So a, a, a friend texted me and said, you got that? Yeah, does she pull? Because I'd said, you know, apparently she pulls a bit. Um, does she pull? I said, does she pull? She's heading up the 8.15 to Houston tomorrow morning. Um, <laughs> so so I'm walking this thing. He's pulling me arm. I'm like, Lily, we got, you know. So, um, so yeah, so that took a bit of, <laughs> a bit of training. But, um, but yeah, uh, but there's nothing like it. I, I mean, she's so excited to see. If, if I've been away for a while, I come back. Um, and um, Saturday morning, for example, I went, I, I walked in and she hadn't seen me for a little while. And, it's just like bouncy, bouncy. It's like spinning on the spot. Box owners will recognise this. They spin on the spot like you wouldn't believe it. It looks oh, as though they? they're trying to chase the tail, but it's not that. And it's just like spin, 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 spin. And then she's like jumped at me, you know, and then went, huh, spin, 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 spin. And then jumped at me. And I was like, yeah, if the cameras are on now. It'd be like, look at him, can't control his own dog. But she just she couldn't, literally couldn't control herself. Well, that's a nice thing, isn't it? <laughs> How do you cope with fame or being recognised? Graham, is it something you're comfortable with? Yeah, I am. I say people are invariably lovely, you know. Um, I find so. Um, but yeah, I, can't. I mean, the first time was a bit weird, um, and I was at a petrol pumps uh, near where I live, and I was putting some fuel in the car. Because the thing is with me as well, that car is is recognised everywhere. You know, the big white Land Rover uh, Discovery with this dog number plate, you know. And even though the first bit's fuzzed out on the telly, just people just spot it. So, but the first time, there I am, putting put fuel in, minding my own business, and all I can hear from behind is, dog father! I'm like, what the heck's that? And it was, it was a load of builders in a white van who then went circling round all the pumps twice, going, dog father, white mate! <laughs> Are people um, friends and sort of strangers a lot of the time? Do they approach you and ask you advice? Is that always people's opening gambit? Often. Um, and, you know, I think you just got to, I think you'd be a bit up yourself, really, if you if you saw, oh, no, no, I couldn't possibly only do that on the television, do you? You know, um, so I always think, well, you know, fair enough, if I can, if I can help a bit. I, I, there's always a caveat, which is, look, without seeing your dog and spending a bit of time understanding it, there's a limit to what I can say, but, you know, try me. So, um, so you, yeah, you get that. Um, I think people who end up performing or, or play, having some sort of public role, I think they tend to be extroverts as kids. I think they tend to have what I call the look of me gene. I think there's a there's a performer in you, isn't there, that was sort of dying to come out, I feel. I think that's right. I mean, I, I remember as a kid, and it's the sort of thing that, again, it's a cultural thing in our country, you know, it's like, like don't admit that you like showing off because that's, that's <laughs> sort of the dumb thing. We're British, you know. Um, but yeah, I was like that. I was as a kid. It's like, hey, look, yeah, it is literally the look at region. Yeah, it's brilliant that. Um, it was like, hey, I've done this thing at school, so I'm going to let me show you, you know. So um, yeah, yeah, there, there was that there. I, I recognise that. So <laughs> you would be in trouble, I think, if you got into this world and and then really didn't want to talk to people when they bumped into you in the street. Do you know what I mean? I think you've you know i like talking to people I always have and i say people are invariably nice so it's like you know i can't imagine you graham 
losing your temper or shouting at anyone really you seem quite calm yeah i mean we've we've all got i think we've all got another sign haven't we but i am pretty much on a level most of the time but i do get quite passionate about certain things you know so what do um, you get passionate about well i can i'm not really a massively political sort of person for example but i see certain things that happen that i just think are outrageously wrong um like people going to barnard castle when they shouldn't be and things like that if we're flat mates let's say i don't know let's say you're upset because i haven't loaded the dishwasher and i'm your i'm your flat mate how do you express that anger at me yeah you see i'd be i think i am a, i suppose i've been accused of being blunt before um because it is just that you know, i'll just sort of say it i think what you would know. you say uh what would i say i'd be like i'd be like I'm like, am I the only one around here whoever does that bloody, you know, dishwasher, you know, something like that, you know. I don't mince words when it comes to things like that. Well, you know, people often say about, you know, it's like I tell it like it is, is that Yorkshire thing. Yeah, I, th I think that is true. I don't think it's, it's, I don't think it is one of those cliches that's sort of made up. I think it just is that that's the case. The, the other thing about Yorkshire is, and when you're talking about that sort of thing, B words mean nothing in Yorkshire. Bloody bugger. It's just like all it's, it's just, it's almost polite conversation. So, and that adjust, you have to adjust a bit when you come down south. So, so you see in the house, I'd be like, bloody dishwasher again. You know, that that's just the way I'd talk. How someone comes across is to do with your capacity for tolerating it, really, isn't it? Because it's like with my dog, Raymond, or Ray Ray, uh, Ray Ray gets. He's very small, Ray Ray, and so he gets very frightened when we're on walks sometimes. If he sees bigger dogs, I see his body language, he stiffens, he tenses up. And to me, that feels reasonable because in the same way that if I'm five foot two, so if Carly Minogue came charging towards me and said, hey, do you want to have a wrestle? I'd say, yeah, why not? <laughs> do you know what I mean, though? But if Arnold Schwarzenegger did that, if he said, we will wrestle... Yes. I would behave like Ray. I'd say, no, this is dangerous. Well, <laughs> it is. I'm chuckling to myself because I'm I'm just trying to work out exactly how I would react if Carly Minogue came running up to me in a park <laughs> and went, Graham, do you want a wrestle? I'd be like, well, let me think about that. Um, it probably would be quite different to Arnie, in fairness. But... Um, <laughs> But dogs and humans aren't the same in that respect. <laughs> I spend a lot of time um, pointing out similarities between dogs and humans, right? We've done it all of this conversation, really. But here's one of the big differences, actually. Um, dogs aren't as bothered about size as us, because I think we've all seen they they don't necessarily sort of go, I'm small, you're big, therefore I'm scared. There can be a bit of that from, from a learnt behaviour, if they got splatted by a big dog by accident. Uh, and if, if Ray's sort of natural tendency is to be a little bit nervous outside or whatever. I'll tell you what's interesting, though. If you get a dog... Um, your, your case is, is, is interesting because sometimes what I see is somebody gets a dog when they're very much in a grieving process or not in a good place themselves as a kind of fix-it, right? And that dog so let's say you live on your own so the, the the dog is looking at you for everything all the time and you're actually not looking your best self you know you're, you're very upset most of the time the dog starts to sort of reflect that you know and that can be for example and actually i think there's an episode of the show coming up like this where where you've lost a dog and it's the dog that you're grieving for and you get another one straight away and it's maybe a wee bit too soon you know so or you're just naturally a person who is 
you know just a bit a, a bit anxious outside you know so if if you're walking along thinking not sure about that fellow walking towards us you know if on the outside you can give off this sort of like yeah it's a guy it's fine you know Ray's like mum 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 I don't like this it's like yeah yeah it'd be right you know okay so what I'll stop you know, doing is picking him up saying Ray get away yes. from my dog <laughs> that's the one okay yeah. I want to mention your podcast Talking Dogs with Graham Hall because it's so brilliant. It's sort of similar to the show in podcast form, essentially, isn't it? You talk very, you take topics every every show, but you also deal with specific um, listeners sending in problems they're having. The show on the telly is is great and entertaining, but we're only scratching the surface, really. You haven't got the time on the telly to explain why you're doing what you're doing very much, just the very basic details. Whereas. In a half an hour's worth of chat on a podcast, you can go into a bit more of the psychology behind it, all that kind of thing. But also it meant that people were contacting me through the, the various social channels and going, can I ask you this question? And and then we, you know, I'd be going, ah, that's brilliant. Could you, could you put that in a voice note so that we can have it on the podcast and I'll answer it there? Because lots of people would want to hear the answer to that. We often will split them down. So instead of, let's say, doing a podcast on dogs being aggressive let's talk about dogs being aggressive because they're nervous or a dog being aggressive for you know whatever a different reason you know um so often people will will they'll email us in sometimes i just read out the email but it's always great if you can hear somebody's voice um and not least of which because they've got different accents which i i love accents and i love traveling around the country and i just think it gives the podcast a bit of color you know um so we had one recently I, i'm not above having a bit of fun with people um there's a lady um sent a voicemail in and she was from hull and uh, she said I've got, I've got this problem with my dog and he's doing this that and the other and i've tried everything and i've tried saying no right even that don't work just like you do on telly right so well the first thing is you're from hull i can tell straight away from that accent uh, now for those of you who don't know hull uh, in hull people say things like uh, no there's snow on the road right oh no there's snow on the road so the first thing that you're doing wrong so is you say you've tried saying no well just try saying no like the rest of us all jokes apart, I'll answer your question. And <laughs> so you can have a bit of fun, you know. So the the people, I love it when people are asking genuine questions because instead of me just rattling on, imagining what people might be interested in, well, I might as well answer questions that kind of proves what they're interested in, really. Mm. And you learn all the time, you know. There's times when you do something, you think, oh, I got that wrong there, I pushed a wee bit too hard maybe, or not hard enough. Some people you can be very direct with. It's like, oh, no, you've done it again, haven't you? Right, go on, don't do that. I like that you you're know. talking to the people like they're the dog. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, get me together with a toddler and I have to really bite my lip because I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to go, ah, no. You know, I've got a grandson <laughs> now and he's, he's three, four. You've got a grandson? <laughs> like, Seth, no. I didn't even know you had kids. Ah, well now. So remember Noodle the Poodle? Noodle the Poodle was named by six-year-old daughter of ex-partner. Yeah. So six-year-old daughter ain't six anymore. She's 30. Just oh, turned 30 very you recently. you in her life. That's so nice. Yeah. And when we went our separate ways, um, her mum and I, um, it was it was a case of, because we were together for three, four years, something like that. Um, we had this moment, cause by, by that time she'd started to call me daddy because I was the only daddy that she'd ever known, actually. And, and it was like, what do I call you now? 
And there was that was one of the most sad things about that breakup. You know, what do I call you now? And I'm like, oh, I don't know, darling. Um, and you can still call me daddy if you want to, you know. I said, what about mm. pretend dad? <laughs> I think we just moved from daddy to dad, you know. <laughs> so I'm like, what about pretend dad, you know? And she went, yeah, well, you can be from a pretend order. So we did this jokey thing for for years and years where uh, if and we kind of kept in touch on and off and then a bit more i suppose in the last few years so i'd be out with this gorgeous 20 something uh and people go oh hi is this your yeah this is my pretend daughter <laughs> oh no and you just look to see the reaction i ask everyone who comes on here and it's totally up to you if you feel comfortable answering this but i ask people if they've had therapy an interesting thing there is that, as you're saying, I'm going to ask you this question and, you know, it's up to you whether you answer it. My brain's already going, I'm going to answer it, whatever it is, because the best way I can. Um, no, I haven't had any therapy. Um, and, yeah, it's an interesting thing. I sometimes think it would probably help, and I'm certainly not against it. There is, there's, for years, if you'd have asked me, I'd have, you'd have got the standard Yorkshire answer of like, therapy, load of nonsense. So, <laughs> money for old ropes. They take your money and they just talk. Or even worse, you talk, they do nout. Um, but no, I mean, I've, I, I, you know, I know people, people do. I've known people who, for whom it's been really useful. So, but no, I haven't personally. I mean, I could be all cheesy and tell you what well, the dogs are my therapy, but there is an awful lot in just going out for a walk with a dog. Funny enough to bring it back to the name of your podcast. Um, but, you know, there's great therapeutic value, let's put it that way, and just getting out in the fresh air with your dog. Yeah. What's made you sort of feel less um, critical of it or inclined to have a snap judgment about it, do you think? Um, talking to people, I think, who've done it, you know, um, and and realizing that yeah actually i think it is good i mean i had a couple of experiences i suppose a few years ago uh of a friend who just went to therapy and it i know these days they, they do therapy that's very much sort of time bound it's like we're going to do it for this amount of time but i knew somebody who went for like over a year and it was just like you get the impression after all i think it's almost as though they're they're looking for problems here the therapist just to keep the money rolling in you know a uh, terrible thing to say and I, I don't think it's like that anymore you know, I think it tends to be more focused on, okay, let's get to the bottom of this problem. But what, like, well, I do, you might say, let's look at this problem, understand it, get to the bottom of it, and then work out how to fix this as quickly as we reasonably can, you know. Um, and that kind of therapy makes sense to me. And mm. um, I also ask people when they last cry, but I think you sounded right. like... About 15 a... minutes ago on this podcast, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, get me thinking about me dogs and, you know, losing my dad was sad, but um, he was 90. We were very close and um, I wrote the eulogy and stood there in church and I got through that, you know, and, and there's obviously been tears over that. But I'd, I'd, but the dogs, even now, when people ask me to to talk about Axel and Gordon and lose them, recording the audiobook, for example. I mean, words that I'd written months beforehand. I went through them the night before. I thought, right, I'm going to get through this. And I said to the to, to the sound engineer guy, look, I'm, 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 I might struggle a bit, you know. Um, and I did, you know. So, yeah, talking about losing the dog sometimes does it. So, so yeah, last time I cried, about 15 minutes ago. <laughs> I have so loved talking to you and I really think everyone should read your book, um, All Dogs, Great and Small. It's kind of, there's a bit about your life and a bit more about how you tick and how you got into this, but 
it's also there's some of your kind of greatest hits there from the show and it's it's your now that's what i call dogs yeah it's a funny one isn't it, it, it i wanted to write a book that would kind of share with people how i do this you, you know the thinking behind it and all that kind of stuff but i desperately didn't want it to be some boring training manual so the way to to not do that really was to tell stories really you know and and uh when I meet with people doing a one-to-one -one consultation, it's quite often, if I think a story is appropriate, I'll go, let me tell you the one about, you know. So that's what I did in the book, really. But um, funny enough, a lot of things that people say about your book, and I'd love to think it was the same about mine, is that, it, it you know, it's the make them laugh, make them cry thing. You know, there's, there's some proper emotion in there, you know. That's, that yeah, makes a good well, book, I felt, yeah, and as, as long as you do it in the right place where they're meant to be laughing and crying, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want them to be in hysterics at the sad bits. No, oh, that's God. true. I'm really sad that we didn't get to see you, but we're both responsible and Raymond would love to meet you at some point. I think you'd really like him, Graham, except he's quite stubborn and set in his ways. Is that common with Shih Tzus? Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they are. Um, they're, they're lovely little companion dogs, um, Shih Tzus. Um, but, yeah, they do have that. That Everybody describes it as this sort of slightly regal way about them. You know, there's some history to that, of course. But, but um, yeah, you, you say stubborn. You were saying before about he's a bit... Um, well, I can't remember what the word you, you said was, but I was thinking um, kind of haughty and uh, <laughs> aloof. That's a good word for a, for a Shih Tzu, you know. So they do have that about them, you know. But then, you see, if you love a Shih Tzu, that's why, isn't it? So you, you don't want a dog who's a pushover all the time. You want a bit of spirit, don't you? <laughs> I believe you find the right dog for you, you know. And I think possibly, Raymond, if if a big if someone approaches him and um, they're sort of over-pouring him and being, if there's over-exuberance in his face, you know what Raymond does, Graham? Mm -hmm. He turns the other cheek and looks skyward. <laughs> It's like you're trying to add you are. What's the standout quality, Graham, that humans can learn from dogs? Um, I always say that nobody ever sent a dog on a mindfulness course, and it's a sort of slightly jerky thing. I think it's pretty obvious, but um, the fact is they're really good at, at here and now. You know, it's like I've I've got food, I've got a ball, I've got a bed to lie down on. I'm happy. I'm not going to worry about later on and I'm not going to worry about the past so much, you know. Um, and I think, you know, we hear it from so many different places, don't we? It's, and at a time when we're in great change, as we have been in the last couple of years, it really helps, I think, to ground yourself in that. Right now, this moment, I'm okay. And there's food in the fridge, I'm all right. Let's not worry about everything else too much. And dogs, I think, are pretty good at that. There's food in the fridge, Raymond. Oh, no, now he wants food, Graham. Oh. <laughs> now you've done it. Graham, when I need to discipline Ray... D tell me something naughty that he does, Emily. When I'm sitting on the sofa, because I've had him up previously, he starts pouring the ottoman and going... <laughs> so, first things first, you're from down south, you've got an ottoman, we got a stool. Um, so... <laughs> Right, Ev, here's what you do, right? So he's pouring at you, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to imagine a scenario where he's pouring at you, right? And then you tell him off, and then he stops pouring, right? And then you're going to praise him for being a good boy, right? And it's going to sound like this. Raymond, no. 
Oh, good boy. That's nice. See the difference? That's how the tone works. Dead easy. Piece of cake. And don't call it an autumn. It's a stool. <laughs> well, Graham, I've loved talking to you. Thank you so much. And please, can Ray and I come and meet you at some point? Well, what we'll do is, when the war's over, we'll um, we'll we'll go out for that walk properly. So it was lovely to chat. But let's yeah, let's go for a dog walk. I've actually I actually feel so excited at the thought of it. You, Ray, oh. we're going to meet Graham. Oh, oh, I know. That's nice. Say goodbye, Ray. Can you say goodbye to Graham? Graham, say goodbye to Ray. There you go. Bye bye, Ray. Ray. Good boy. There you go. I'll tell you what, if he says goodbye, Graham, back, we'll both be on the telly. <laughs> I really hope you enjoyed listening to that. And do remember to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes. <laughs>